0: hard as it is to believe, it's not easy to grow up a pastor's kid. But there are a few advantages, one of which is that you get to know a lot of people that you never would otherwise. Our daughter came home, third grade one time, with a school book, and pointed to the pictures and said, there, Dad, that's Mr. John. You didn't tell me he was famous. We just shared the bathroom together. This is John Perkins. He is, in his 80s, still going strong. For over 50 years, he has been following Jesus as a civil rights worker, as a community developer, as a reconciler of black and white. And he is one of my heroes. He's on vacation one time in Michigan and goes to a a lake camp and... Uh, they have a little chapel by the water and uh, he goes into church and wouldn't you know, it just as sometimes happens, as he walks into church, the, person go, the pastor goes, hey, would you preach today? <sighs> and so instead of grabbing his Bible and getting into the pulpit, he walks in front of the church and asks the kids to come forward and says, kids, I've been having some strange dreams lately. Let's talk about our dreams. Do any of you ever dream about being somebody different? Little girl, of course, she's up. Her head. Yes, yes, I want to be a doctor. I dream about being a doctor. That's a great dream. If you study hard, if you take care of people now, you can take care of people later as a doctor. Little boy holds up his hand. I want to be a professional football player. Oh, that's a great dream. You exercise and eat well and take care of your teammates, and someday you could be great. Little boy waves his hand and goes, "I want to be like my dad." No. No, I want to be richer than my dad. And John, and goes, that's an interesting dream. <laughs> I love that you love your dad. We need to get you a bigger dream. Because our dreams shape us. That's what's happened in today's story. Two men have dreams. And their lives are changed, but more than that, this is one of those things that are called the hinge point of history. History comes here, and it goes a completely different direction because two men have dreams. The entire Western world is reshaped because two men had dreams. It's from this story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's the 10th chapter. It starts less than 100 miles away from Jerusalem. It says, In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion from Rome. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to the needy and prayed to God regularly. Let me stop there. Cornelius and many of the other people that we're going to meet in the story of Acts are not Jewish. Almost all the original disciples and followers are Jewish. But there's a whole group of people that we meet in the story who are not Jews, but they hunger for God. They have a sense that there really is a God, that somehow there's only one God, that they've heard about this God of Abraham, and they start coming to synagogues, but they can't get in. They start coming to the temple, but they can't get in. It says of Cornelius... He and his family were devout and God-fearing. There's a historian named Rodney Stark, and Stark calls them the God-fearers and says these non-Jewish God-fearers are the key to the explosion of Christianity. When the apostles come to town, they always go to the synagogue and talk to the Jews. And a few of the Jews come and believe, but most of them argue. But these God-fearers who are hanging around They flock to Jesus. Cornelius. One day, about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision, a waking dream. He distinctly saw an angel that said, Cornelius, and he's terrified, and he says, what? Cornelius, your prayers have come up as an offering before God. So take some men and send them to Joppa. Now, Joppa is a little village about 32 miles away, but it might as well be on the other side of the moon. Most people in those days never traveled 20 miles from their house. And even though Joppa is close by, it's very different. It's a small Jewish village. Caesarea is a large Roman sophisticated city. Bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with another Simon, but he's Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Zip code 55416. (laughs) Very specific instructions. He listens to the angel. He sends the men. And about noon the next day, as the men are approaching the city, Peter goes up on the roof and starts to pray. He was hungry, and while he waited for something to eat, he fell into a trance. It's another sign of a vision, a waking dream. He saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet coming down to earth with four corners. It's the way a feast would be prepared. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds. These are all things that Jews would never eat, never even touch. And a voice called out to him, get up, Peter, kill it and eat it. And Peter said, surely not. God, I've never eaten anything impure. The voice spoke a second time. Don't call anything impure that I have made clean. This happened three times, and then the sheet was taken away. Peter's still trying to figure out what's going on when Cornelius' men found the house, and they called out and they asked for Peter. No, the other Peter. And while he's still thinking about the vision, the Spirit says, I've sent these three men. Go with them. And Peter went down and said, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Well, we're from Cornelius, the centurion in Caesarea. He's righteous, God-fearing, respected by all the Jews. An angel told him to get us to bring you. And so the next day, Peter went to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together all of his relatives, all of his close friends. As Peter entered the house with his group of friends, Cornelius meets him and falls on his face. And Peter says, no, no, get up. I'm only a man too. And he looks up and he sees all the people in the house. And he says, you know, it's against our laws for a Jew to even be in a Gentile's house. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So what did you want? Cornelius said, I had a dream It told me to get you. Thanks for coming. What did the Lord tell you to say to us? Peter begins to speak. Now I get it. I realize now that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts every nation, those who fear him and do what's right. You know the message God sent to Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. You know what happened how he was born and baptized, how he went doing good and healing. We're witnesses of everything that he did. We saw him killed by hanging on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. And he commanded us to preach that he's the one appointed as judge of the living and the dead by God. Well, while Peter is still speaking... The Holy Spirit comes down on all of the people in the house. Like at Pentecost, everybody starts speaking in different languages. And it says, The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that is, the Jews who had become followers of Jesus and were Peter's disciples, they were astonished that the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. But Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit, just like us. Two very strange dreams. Peter's dream is so important that it is repeated four different times in the book of Acts. The only other thing that's repeated that often is the conversion of Saul, Paul. Between Peter and Paul, the gospel takes shape. This is God's announcement that this is not good news for the Jews, but for the whole world, and it comes as a great shock to the Jews. It's not about them. It's about God preparing a feast. Peter has the vision because he's hungry. And it says a linen cloth came down with a feast, a new kind of feast. God is preparing a feast, and he's asking Peter to send out the invitations. Peter's hungry and Cornelius' soul is starving. And God feeds them both. So let's look at that meal and say, is there something in there for us? Well, how about this? When you look for a meal from God, it starts when people pray. When people pray, God starts cooking. When people pray, God springs into action. That's what the sheet descending is about Peter and Cornelius are two very different people who pray at different parts of the world to God. Does God hear the prayers of the Muslim or the Jew, the Catholic, the Presbyterian, the agnostic? God hears the prayers of every heart on earth. It says about Cornelius that he was faithful and that he prayed to God regularly. He prayed to God regularly, and then one day he had a vision. Well, if we're going to experience a miracle on one day, we need to pray every day. Because when people pray, God starts cooking. And here's the deal. I think that you're like me. You get up, and sometime during the day you're going to pray, and then you're going to go back to real life. And there's no connection between the prayer and real life. This story is telling me that when you pray, you've got to start sniffing for the meal that God is cooking. Start looking for the people that God may be drawing across your path and say, her? No. Really? Maybe. What's God saying? When God cooks, God takes charge. When God cooks, God's going to surprise people with the menu. God's going to surprise people with the company that you keep. Everybody is invited to the feast. Two men, two men, separated by geography and culture and nationality and faith and economics, God brings them together who would never have even talked to each other. It's a model for what God wants to do in the whole world. When God cooks, God breaks down walls. Here's the thing. I like to eat my favorite foods and I like to eat my favorite foods with my favorite people. So, do you. What this story is saying is that when people come in here who are not where we are in terms of our faith, that's God cooking. He's also saying if everybody in here likes the same food, likes the same people, we got the wrong people. Because God loves a party. Go get guests. When God cooks, God cooks grace. When I cook, I usually cook with some seasoning of guilt and a good sprinkling of judgment so that I feel good and you feel bad. When God cooks, God cooks with grace. The voice from heaven spoke a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Unclean is about food. Unclean is about people. God says there are no unclean people. There are only people who don't know yet that they are beloved. Peter says, I'm not even supposed to be in this house because you're Gentiles. But God told me I should not call sin what God calls beloved. I love this picture of the Roman general and the Jewish fishermen that God brings together at the table of grace. Grace is what brings people together because grace helps you see that every person you will see today, when you walk out of here, every person that you will see today is made in the image of God. The person that has made you swear because of their views on immigration is made in the image of God. The person who is a troglodyte about their views of whatever is precious to God. You only get that when you get grace. Every person you see today knows something that you do not. Every person that you see today knows something that you do not. You will never learn it unless grace causes you to stop and listen. Every person that you see today is fighting a battle that you're not aware of. They need grace. When God cooks, God cooks grace. When God cooks, God makes it about Jesus. When I cook, I make it about religion. God makes it about Jesus. Peter says, you know the message God said. To tell the good news of peace about Jesus who is Lord of all. He commanded us to tell everyone that Jesus is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It's about Jesus. When we make it about religion, what flavor, or music, what music do you like, or what politics do you have, or what theology do you cling to, then we're pushing people away from the table. It's about Jesus. When God cooks, He makes it about Jesus. He makes it about grace. When God cooks, God serves the Holy Spirit for dessert. God says, not only can you believe that I have saved you, but in your heart you can know that I am with you. He gives us a spirit to know that He will never leave. Peter says... God gave them the same spirit that he gave us to believe in Jesus. Who was I to think that I should oppose God? And all the Jews were astonished. When God cooks, he wants to give people his spirit. Let me finish with this. Last, this passage, this story shows me that when people have dreams and they see how God cooks... They realize that when God cooks, God loves takeout. When I cook, when I cook, they're at the table. I like to eat here and have a good time with you. We have a wonderful time. God seems to prefer takeout. Joppa is only thirty-two miles from Caesarea, and most people never make the journey. Today, it's not about distance. It's about the relationships with people who are different than you are. Think of what you're missing if you stay at home with your dreams. Think of what they are missing if you don't follow God's dream of grace. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that speaks to me in all its richness and all its life. I pray today that it will comfort those who are afflicted. I pray today that it will afflict those who are comfortable. And I ask you that just as the food of heaven descended for all of them to eat, that you would bring us to the table of grace and let us see the spaces of those who are still to come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, amen.